In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. My beloved, today is the first Sunday of Tuba, uh, which is the first month after uh, the Kiyak. So the first Sunday after the Feast of Nativity is this Sunday. And the church kind of continues the story for us from Matthew chapter 2. If you recall, on the Feast of Nativity, it ended with the visit of the Magi to the Lord. Um, and they offered him the gold, frankincense, and incense. Uh, and they went to the house of, of Joseph. Um, and then as they were leaving, they were warned in a dream and said, don't go the way that you came because Herod uh, is seeking to kill the child. So they went uh, a different route back to their uh, homes. Uh, then it, today's gospel is a continuation of that um, and uh, we see from the very beginning of the Lord's life, he faced many hardships and difficulty and persecution, all when he was just uh, an infant. Um, and if we think about like what's going on here is the King of Kings, the God the Father, he's sending his his young child and putting them in the and putting him in the care of these two individuals, Saint Mary, his mother and St. Joseph. And you would think that this would be like he would make his life comfortable, right? If a king is going to send uh, his son to another country for any kind of business or just to go visit, he would make sure that there are people who are protecting him, make sure the travels are there, get a private jet, get you know the car and everything ready, and have somebody on the other side ready to welcome them, right? But the, the, God didn't do this with his son. It's like he sent him into the world and he didn't even arrange like that he would be born in a home or a nice place. But from the moment he was conceived until he came to birth, it was a hardship one after the other. Um, <clears throat> and if we think about like this idea of making our family comfortable, this is we do the same thing. You know, many of us, if we asked uh, who came as immigrants from other countries, from Egypt or other countries and came here, we ask you, why did you come to America? We would say, so my kids can have a better life, right? A better future. So we do things in our life to prepare to let our kids have a better life than what we did. But again, the father didn't do that with his son. Um, and sometimes even as we, our children grow and mature, we say, you know what, As that when I was a kid, I used to work and go to school, and, uh, and it was very hard. So when my kids go to school, I'm not going to require them or ask them, or even I'm not even going to allow them to go and get a job and work. I want them to focus on their studies, and that's it. Why? Because we want them to be comfortable. If we notice, though, throughout Scripture, the ones whom God chooses, they will face a certain level of persecution and suffering and hardship. Again, if you look at St. Mary and Joseph when they were chosen, from the moment of the Annunciation that St. Mary will conceive the Son of God, it wasn't like it was happy news and good news, but did it make her life easier or did it make it harder? It made it harder, right? Um, right when she conceived, okay, now she has to tell Joseph. And Joseph, okay, thinking like any husband would, she's conceiving now and she's pregnant. 
It must be by another man. And then what are the people going to say? Right? When we uh, tell them. So now she has to live with this stigma of being somebody who lived like, uh, was it, in, was in, in uh, like, in, uh, wasn't faithful yet. Um, and the penalty of this was for her to be stoned. So in order for Joseph to wrap his head around this, it took an angel to appear to him and tell him, Joseph, don't fear to take Mary as your betrothed wife, like, or to be engaged to her. Um, and then he told them, okay, live like this. And then when it came time to deliver, it was the same time where the uh, Caesar said, it's time for a census. So where did they go? Back to Bethlehem, right? And what happened in Bethlehem when it was time for her to get married, to, uh, to deliver? It says they couldn't find a place to stay. And if you ever really thought about this for a minute, Bethlehem wasn't a big city, or it was a small city, and this was the hometown of Joseph. Right? So where was his family? Where were his friends? He didn't know anybody in Bethlehem? Mishma'ud, Mishmumkin. So what does that mean that when he went there, and he was fi- trying to find a place, that even his family and friends, they didn't welcome him. Welcome him. Why? Perhaps because of the stigma. This man is now harboring a woman who is now pregnant out of wedlock and she should be stoned. We don't want this curse in our house or we don't want this any having to do anything with this. For they wouldn't open their house. Until they found one person said, I don't have, you can't stay in my house, but you're welcome to stay in the barn if you want. So that's where they went and she gave birth to the Lord Jesus like in a barn. And we call it a manger. Then after they gave birth, the wise men or the shepherds come and the wise men come and then they find out that Herod is very angry and upset and he has lost his mind and he wants to come kill uh, the young child. So the angel appears again to Joseph and says, take the young child and take him to Egypt and flee to Egypt. And if you can't imagine, what's, again, what's happening here is Joseph is advanced in age. He's really old. And now he's asked to travel like on a horse and an animal for many hundreds of miles, maybe thousands of miles with a pregnant wife, or I'm sorry, with a young child and a, a, a wife who's just delivered. And mind you, they're not traveling in a car. They're traveling outside. So what do they have to pack? Maybe if we're going to go to Dallas or something, we pack a few things, hop in the car, and we go. But it wasn't like that because this distance that they couldn't cover in one day. So they need to spend the night. They needed food. They needed clothing. They need to have a tent because they're going to spend the night on the way. And then he needs to care for them all while he himself is old. So it wasn't an easy journey, right? So from the moment that the Lord came into the picture, it was hardship after hardship after hardship. And we see this, that all those who God chooses, there is a certain level of hardship that um, is uh, that they endure. Even St. Paul, after he became Christian, right, and he went and met Ananias, and Ananias was like, wait a minute, this is the guy who used to kill us. Why should I you know, believe that he is really a chosen person. And what did the Lord tell Ananias? He said what? Go for he is a chosen vessel of mine. Okay, how is Ananias going to know that he's a chosen vessel? He says to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And after Ananias heard this, he asked no more questions, and he baptized him, made him Christian, and then he sent him to the apostles. No questions asked after that. Because he understood that those who suffer for the name of Christ are those whom he chose, he chose, he uh, chooses. Even our father Abraham, 
When God chose him to make the covenant with him, what did he tell him to do? Did he tell him just relax at home? We'll just start talking to each other in, uh, from your bedroom? No. He told him what? Get out of your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house to a land I will show you. Where, Lord, is the land? Don't worry about it. I'll show you when you start going. Again, go out and embark on a journey. You have no idea where you're going. Just trust me. Hardship, right? How is it then that some Christians uh, still believe that once we accept the Lord Jesus and we believe in Him, that we ought to have a quiet and peaceful life, as if God owes it to us for being a Christian? But it's, if you see here on the contrary, if His own mother and the chosen Saint Joseph went through hardship, why do we expect that when we become Christian, everything should be easy and comfortable? The Lord constantly told His followers to endure for a little and be patient because the reward will be given to you later. There is always this delayed gratification, this, this delayed reward when it comes to our relationship with God. Follow me now and you will prosper later. Follow me now and endure now and fear not, the kingdom of heaven will be stored up to you later. So we will all face these kinds of turmoils in our journey with God. Um, and St. Paul describes his own affliction, and he says what? He says, For our light affliction is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. So he considers all that he went through as just a moment of affliction that he endured because he sees the promise in front of him. We'll just look at four uh, quick uh, examples of those who took refuge in God and these times of hardships and these times of suffering, these times of maybe difficulty in our life. What did these four individuals do in taking refuge in God? So we can look and say, okay, during the hardship in my life, how can I take refuge in God? Number one is we'll look uh, at St. Stephen. If you remember, we celebrated his uh, feast last week, um, or yani this week, uh, and we see St. Stephen was among the seven deacons. And when he was called to be a deacon, was he called to like wear the badrashin and to chant here and lead the people? Was that was his calling as a deacon? No. Actually, it says in the book of Acts, he says, about the apostles said to them, said to each other, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God, the teaching, and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So their job was to do what? Serve tables. The elderly. This was his service, right? And you might think, okay, why do they need to be of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom? They're just doing any manual work. No, but the church felt that even those who are doing these kind of services ought to be of a, of a certain like uh, spiritual status. So they said, let's choose men who are of this kind of nature. So this is what St. Stephen did. He didn't lead any congregation. He didn't give speeches. You know, he didn't teach in the church. But he was a server of tables. And sometimes some of us, we believe that these kind of services are, you know, humiliating kind of to me if I do them. And I'd rather not kind of do these kind of services. But actually, this is what St. Stephen did. And this is the meaning, actually, diakon in Greek means to serve, like a servant. Chedem, chedem. Um... Yet St. Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when it came to the time for him 
to give an account of uh, and defend Christianity in front of the Sadducees, the high priests, and so on. In Acts chapter 7, he gives this long oration and uh, defense about how all of us, we need Christ, and Christ is like the Savior. And it's very, you know, theological and very deep as well, beginning from Abraham up until Christ. Then they, uh, they couldn't handle the truth of the gospel. They got very angry and they said, let's stone him. And as they're stoning him, what's happening to Saint Stephen? He says, but being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So in the midst of his suffering and his persecution, what was before him was the kingdom of heaven. He saw the heavens opened and he saw the reward and he endured. So his eyes were always on heaven, right? His eyes were on the promises of God. So the first thing when we want to take refuge in God, we remember his promises, right? That endure for a little, but the promise of the kingdom is to come. And then we see something beautiful about St. Stephen as they're stoning him. What does he say to them? He mimics exactly what Christ said on the cross to those who are crucifying him. The Lord said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? And St. Stephen said to those who were stoning him, you know, forgive them as well. Right? Forgive them. So he showed the same kind of love. He was an icon of Christ before them. Right? And how is he, how could he be an icon of Christ before them? Only through going through this, uh, enduring of this injustice and mockery and uh, persecution. So he took refuge in his promise. The second are the three holy youth. Um, as we remember in their story in Daniel, they were taken captive from uh, Jerusalem to Babylon. So they went to a foreign land. And while they were there, the Babylonians, they changed their language. They gave them new names, right? Um, they taught them the literature of their country, all to get them to forget about their heritage. But one thing they didn't forget to do was they didn't forget to pray and they didn't forget to fast. So they determined to fast despite the king or the king's, you know, servants wanting to give them the luxurious food of Babylon. And they said, no, we're not going to eat that. We're going to eat vegetables and drink water. And they did this. And because of this, they overcame and they were much, uh, higher in rank than any of their contemporaries because they held on to their God. Then Nebuchadnezzar, Bardu Darab Kida, and he said, uh, I'm going to make a statue and everybody, time you hear the music play, I want you to bow down and worship the statue that I've made. And they, they were still faithful. They said, you know what? In our country, we worship God and God alone. We're not going to worship anything. So when they didn't worship their peers, they said, look, king, they're not doing what you said. And he said, Mishma'ul, these men that I like, yes, they don't do what you like. So they came and they told the king and the king said, okay, worship. And they said, no, we're not going to worship. And actually they said even stronger. What did they say? The reply to the king was, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In that, uh, if the case, if, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Right? Because our God is able to deliver us from your hand. What if God, what if they died in the furnace? Right? They had no idea what's going to happen. Was death not an option? It was an option. Would that be deliverance for them? It would be. It would be deliverance for them, right? 
because they would leave the king and they would be with God. But what did the Lord do? He allowed them to go into the fiery furnace and then he was among them. And he delivered them, right? So what was in their, in their time of persecution and hardship, what was their, where did they find refuge? They found refuge in the security of God. He's able to protect them. And I want you all to know, like, that security doesn't mean always saving us. But it could be allowing us to go through the hardship, but being with us in the hardship. And this is what the security of God is, that where he, where he is, or where I am, He is with me. In the midst of the fiery furnace, He's there. Serving in the king's temple, He is there. They were, they took refuge in His security. The next example is Rahab, who was the harlot in Jericho. If you remember when the spies of Israel had arrived in Jericho to scope out the land before they invaded, um, they found this harlot and uh, they went into her house and uh, she knew exactly who they were and she hid them on her roof when the men of the city and the king came looking for them. And, uh, and she took a risk in doing this. And what did she say to those spies when they came in? She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. So she believed in the God of Israel, that he was able to lead them out of the wilderness and come to this land, and she believes that they will take over the land that she lives in. Her house is among them. And she said, you know what, I'm going to put my trust and my faith in your people and in your God. And I'll align myself with your team. Just when you come into our, our city, spare me and my family. And they said, you have our word, we will spare you and your family when we come. So what happened here? Where did she find refuge? She found refuge in aligning herself with the people of God. With the church. Right? With the church. We find refuge in the church among one another. We need one another. Um, <clears throat> we often face many circumstances and situations in our life where our neighbors, whether colleagues or people in work or school, they believe in and walk in ways contrary to our faith. And what will keep us strong is the fellowship of one another. Always knowing that, you know what, I have a family that thinks like I do, that has the same principles as I do, that has the same faith as I do. And this is the important scene. We always say, you know, we have to bring our churches and raise them, our children and raise them in the church and get them involved in the church. Why? So they feel like they're part of this family. So when they go outside and hear all of the nonsense and craziness that's outside and all these crazy ideas, they have a fellowship of people who think like they do. It's so crucial, especially nowadays. They found refuge in the people, or she found refuge in the people of God and in the church. Lastly, of course, St. Mary and St. Joseph. They took refuge in, in God's guidance. In God's guidance. He said, go and take the young child and go to Egypt. They went to Egypt. When Herod was dead, he said, okay, go back and take the child back to um, uh, Israel. And when they went back to Israel, they found the king was not very nice, Archelaus. So instead of going back to Bethany, they went and dwelt in Nazareth and Galilee. They simply went from one place to another. They say the Holy Family traveled about 12, 000, uh, 1,200 miles on an animal and on foot between all of this you know, journey, right? Just following God. They followed Him wherever they, uh, He led them. Um, it was enough 
for St. Joseph and St. Mary that the Lord was with them. And that's it. There's a beautiful verse that I'll leave you with in the Psalms. Uh, in Psalm 139, he says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell or Sheol, you are there. The important thing is what? That you are there. And where he is, this is the kingdom of heaven. Where he is, this is the kingdom of heaven. So they found refuge in his guidance. So when we find ourselves going to places or being in places, ghazban anina, where we don't have a choice, and we feel like this is not a place where I'm comfortable, we, we can bow our heads and we can pray. We can pray within us. And where he is, we will make heaven, even if it's in hell itself. We will make heaven there if he is there. May God grant us to always find refuge in him, whether it's through his promises, whether it's through his security and trusting in his security, or in his people, the church, or in his guidance. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.